0: Good to see all of you, have you here. My name is Randy, one of the pastors, and I'm glad to be with you this Easter time. Last year I had a few uh, Easter jokes, and they were such a big hit that I found a few more for you this year. So if you don't think they're funny, laugh with me anyway. You know the old, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, kind of laugh, whatever. All right, what do Easter bunnies do to stay in shape? Exercise. Yeah. All right. How did the Easter. Wait! Oh! Oop. There it is. There he is. What do Easter bunnies do to stay in shape? All right. There we are. We got that one. All right. Next one. How did the Easter bunny dry himself off? With a hair dryer. All right. We got some. Uh... That's good. Good. All right. Why did the. You won't get this one. Why did the Easter egg hide behind the bush? He was a little chicken. (laughs) Okay. How can you tell which rabbits are the oldest in a group? And I represent this remark. Just look for the gray hairs. Okay. All right. What, uh, What kind of book does a rabbit like at bedtime? One with a hoppy ending. Okay, you guys are really with me here on this one. All right, what happened? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much, thank you, thank you. What happened to the Easter egg when he was tickled too much? He cracked up, yeah, like you all are doing today. How do you send a letter to the Easter bunny? mail. got it, okay, good. What kind of jewelry do rabbits wear? Fourteen-carat gold. All right, one last one. Why are bunnies the luckiest animals in the word, world? They have four rabbit's feet. There you go. Cool. All right. Let's go to the black screen. Let's pray. Welcome the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a video here. I hope that uh, you will enjoy it and that it will be meaningful to you as we remember what Jesus did for us. Father, we do thank you for uh, your great love. Thank you for this opportunity to celebrate you and to celebrate life. Thank you that you are life and that you have welcomed us into that life. Might we hear you today? Might we come to know you better? In Jesus' name. Technical stuff, amazing. You know, we live in a world full of tragedies. I remember a number of years ago with Clara watching the takeoff of the Space Shuttle Challenger, January 28, 1986, when it exploded one minute after liftoff, killing the six astronauts and the high school social studies teacher. I remember the day the shootings took place on April 20, 1999, at Columbine High School near Denver, Colorado, when Twelve students and one teacher were killed. I remember, of course, as most of us do, the day the Twin Towers were attacked and destroyed. And I also remember the call I got last September at 1.30 in the morning that my mother, who was in the hospital for some routine tests, had fallen and hit her head. I remember getting to the hospital soon thereafter and talking with her, comforting her, only to see her slip into a coma at 6 a.m. that morning and then pass away in the afternoon. You know, whether personal or... Those we hear about in the media. One of the biggest questions we often face in tragedy is, "Where was God when this?" Was Whoa. Where was God when this tragedy happened? Yeah. Okay, boy, we're just yeah. There it is. We have. Let's see, page five, 6... Two, one, six. Weehaw. My stand is missing, Joy. Somebody took my stand with the penny. So that's part of the... Somebody took the penny? Is that what they did? <laughs> Sorry. Private story. So one of the questions we often ask ourselves in the midst of tragedy and weird things that happened, where was God when this tragedy happened? Or why didn't God prevent it? In John 10.10, 10, Jesus, I think, describes the challenge that has come as a result of sin and brokenness in our world as well as God's heart towards it. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that looks like a lot of different things in our world. It can look like illness. It can look like conflicts and relationships, losing a job, a car accident, war, tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. Perhaps the word that we could use that might describe that the best might be death. But Jesus went on to say in the rest of that verse, I have come in order that you might experience life. Life in all its fullness. And that, of course, could look like a variety of things. Good health, caring relationships, pleasure in our marriage, fulfillment in our work, maybe even a new car. Basically, Jesus is saying we live in a world where evil has its way. And Satan's purpose is to lead us to death. But Jesus' purpose, the reason that he came, was to lead us to life. And I wonder how many of us here would rather experience life than death. But what really is life? Often when we think of life, we think of things like we described earlier, things like health or happiness, success, fulfillment, purpose. And I believe that those things are ultimately included in what Jesus meant by life. But another thing, especially in our own culture that we think of and that brings us life, is money, stuff, which we were talking about the last few weeks. The media, advertising, and most of society shouts at us, if you really want to have life, buy this, own this, go here, do this. As if life can be purchased or had or contained by what we have or where we go. But in Luke 12:15 Jesus very clearly says that stuff is not life no matter how much stuff we have. True life is not made up of the things you own no matter how rich you may be. And in John 17:3 in a prayer to his heavenly Father on the night before he was crucified Jesus very clearly described what he meant by life. This is eternal life. That you might know, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The word to know in that text is the word that means to know intimately, deeply. It's more than being acquainted with or knowing about it as a deep personal knowing and connection of relationships. Jesus is saying that real life, the life that he came to lead us to, the life he wants us to fully experience is a deep personal relationship with God who is life. John 1.4 tells us that life itself is in God. And in John 14.6, Jesus said, I am life. If we want to know and experience life, we're going to need to know and experience God for he is life. Without God, there is no life, and the absence of life is death. And that's where everything that does not lead you to God is leading you. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives us a key as to how we can experience this true life. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, The journey to life can be entered only through the narrow gate. The pathway to death, that's easy. Its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who take it, but the gate to life is narrow and the pathway is hard. And only a few take it. A few minutes ago, you know, many of us realized that it is our desire to experience life and not death, but the way to get there is not as easy as we would hope. In my mind, I often see life, being described here like Jesus, kind of as an old-fashioned carnival or circus, whereas you're walking through the carnival or circus, men and women with signs are shouting and beckoning you into their tents to see this or to try that. Buy this car, guys, and all the women will want to be with you. Wear this perfume, gals, and all the men will want to be with you. Go to this school, have this career, and everyone will be impressed. Try Coke, it's the real thing. Or as others say, try cocaine, it's the real thing. All along the path to life are people and things that are luring and enticing us to take the easy way, the fun way, the exciting way, the successful way. But not all roads lead to true life. The journey to life, Jesus said, is narrow. It's a narrow way, and it's a difficult way. So let's talk for a few moments about this journey of life. The journey to life is a journey of relationship. Though Jesus portrayed the wide road as crowded road that many travel, God does not intend this narrow road to be traveled alone. Genesis chapter 3, God identifies the very first human crisis, not as rebellion or disobedience, not as envy or murder, but as aloneness. It is not good to be alone. The journey to life is to be made with God and others. Luke 10, we're told a story about this. One day, a, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's right, Jesus said. Do this. And you will live. Basically, the religious expert's question is, how do I experience life? What what do I need to do to get life? And Jesus' reply is, have a loving relationship with God and others. Historically, people have tried uh, many times to draw away from people to find life, living in caves or monasteries. But Jesus tells us that life can only be found through And in significant relationships with God and others. Are relationships sometimes difficult? Yes. In fact, maybe most of the time they're difficult. And it's that that leads us to life. So the journey to life is a journey of relationship. The journey to life is also a journey of faith. Have you ever noticed that really good things are worth waiting for? And that sometimes good things take a while to get One of my hobbies is uh, going on trips and camping and things like that. And for me, thinking and planning for the trip is almost as much fun as the trip itself. Now, I know that's not true for everyone because many people love spontaneity. But I love the anticipation. I love the excitement of something yet to come. And this journey of life is a journey of faith. It's a journey of expectation. It's a journey of something not yet attained. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Most of the time when we talk about faith, most people think of believing. And when we believe something, we think it's true. Believing affects our thinking. But faith is more than just belief. It's more than just thinking something is true. Faith in the Bible is also an action word. In Hebrews 11, the author goes on to tell us about men and women who acted in faith, who did something according to their faith as a response to what God had said. Hebrews 11:7. by faith Noah warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning, built an ark to save his household. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. Hebrews 11.31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not die with those who were disobedient because she welcomed the spies in peace. Faith is an action word. God is not visible in the way that People are visible. God's voice is not audible in the way that people's voices are audible. We cannot have relationship with God in the same way that we can with other human beings. And so to say, I believe in God, is a statement of belief. But faith in God requires us to take action upon that belief. By faith, we see God through creation and others' actions in our lives. By faith, we listen to God speak to us through the Bible and in our hearts, and we take action to put those words into practice in our lives. By faith, we receive love from God and then extend love back towards Him. By faith, we love others as an extension of God's love for them. So this journey to life and relationship with God is a journey of faith and a vibrant action for God. But as Jesus pointed out, this journey to life is also a journey of difficulty. Though Benjamin Franklin is said to have believed early to bed and early to rise would make one healthy, wealthy, and wise, many people today teach and believe that asking Jesus into your life, becoming a Christian, and deciding to follow God will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. And while many Christians do experience those things, that's not guaranteed by Jesus or the Bible. In fact, Jesus tells us the opposite is true. That last night before his betrayal and crucifixion, Jesus had a few bad days too. He sat with his closest friends and he poured out his heart to them. And one of the things he said to them that night as recorded in John 16:33 was, In this world, you're going to have a great time. No, that's not what he said. He knew it was coming for him and for them. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble. The word trouble in that verse is the Greek word philipsis. It means trial, tribulation, affliction, trouble. Many Christians, as we've already said, have the idea that following Jesus will result in a life of fulfillment and joy. And they're right. But a life of fulfillment and joy does not guarantee a life free from pain or trouble. In fact, earlier we read that Jesus said that the pathway to life, fulfillment, and joy is difficult. The gate to life is narrow, and the pathway is hard. That word hard in that verse is the Greek word "thliblo," which is the root word for thlipsis that we saw before, which meant trial, tribulation, affliction, or trouble. And "thliblo" means pressed, afflicted, distressed, or difficult. So what Jesus is saying is, narrow is the gate, tight, hard to get through, and it's hard, it's afflicted, it's difficult, is the path that leads to life. Not only Jesus says, well, we experience trouble in life, but the path to abundant life is one of hardships and trials and difficulties. The picture that that verse brings to my own mind is a very, very steep, rocky path, climbing a mountain. Few avalanches have fallen down occasionally, make it hard to continue up the path. Sometimes they even stop us for a while. Let me tell you a story from the life of Gerald Sitzer, a professor at Whitworth College. 1993, while driving home from a family outing with his mother, wife of 20 years, and four children, a drunk driver swerved across the center line and hit them head on. In an instant, he lost his wife, his two-year-old daughter, and his mother. In his book, A Grace Disguise, Sinster shares some insights from his painful journey. He says, The accident itself bewilders me today as much as it did three years ago. Much good has come out of it, but all the good in the world will never make that accident itself good. It remains a horrible, tragic, and evil event to me. Yet the grief I feel is sweet as well as bitter. I still have a sorrowful soul, yet I wake up each morning joyful, eager for what the new day will bring. Never have I felt as much pain as I have in the last three years, yet never have I experienced as much pleasure in simply being alive. Never have I felt so broken, yet never have I felt so whole. Never have I been so aware of my weaknesses and vulnerability, yet never have I been so content and felt so strong. Above all, I have become aware of the power of God's grace and my need for it. God has been present in my life these past three years. God will continue to be present to the end of my life and through all eternity. God is growing my soul, making it bigger, and filling it with himself. My life is being transformed. Which leads us to the last item, Though the journey to life is difficult, hard, afflicted, the journey to life is a journey of joy. The Apostle James gives us a very clear understanding on how to view these difficulties, even sometimes tragedies that we experience in life. James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when various troubles come your way, for you know that when your faith overcomes such obstacles, the result is endurance. And let endurance have its long-term effect so that you may be whole and complete, lacking nothing. You know, when an athlete runs laps and works out hard in the weight room, it's anything but fun. But winning the game, the championship, having a lifetime best, those are something to be happy about. They're something to celebrate. And that's how we're to face the hardships, the difficulties, even the tragedies of our lives. As the writer of the book of Hebrews says, At the time, the pain of discipline is never fun. Later on, however, it produces great benefit for those who accept its training. Real life, the Bible teaches us, includes pain, but pain that can be overruled by a joy that comes from the good that is ahead. And Jesus modeled this kind of life for us. Think for a moment, if you would, what he endured on that Friday 2,000 years ago. The only thing he had ever done in life was loving and good. Yet he was violently arrested. He was abandoned by his friends. He was mocked, spit on, humiliated. He was brutally whipped and beaten to the point of death. A crown of thorns was driven into his skull. Stakes were driven through his hands and feet and he was hung by those wounds upon a rough wooden cross. That was not a joyful experience. It would be hard for me to imagine him having happy thoughts. But his death was not the end. Sunday was on its way. And the shackles and the tyranny of death were shattered that Sunday morning and Jesus raised from the dead and provided for each and every one of us newness of life. That we too can see the shackles and the tyranny of the challenges and the pains and the troubles of our life shattered by resurrection life. The Hebrews writer tells us this about him. Let us consider Jesus the initiator and completer of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Being brutalized and suffering as He did was not what was best for Him, but it was what was best for us. And because it was what was best for us, He considered it all joy and endured the pain For what awaited him on the other side, a bride, brothers and sisters, a family, a holy people, living in restored, loving relationship with his Father in heaven. The Apostle John tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Would you just perhaps just pause for a moment, close your eyes and take a moment and consider what does it do to your heart that Jesus was willing to suffer all of that so that you could experience true life? What does that do to your heart? Fill your heart with gratitude. Perhaps does it cause your mind to go, wow, and to be in awe? Would you be willing to give thanks to God for what he's done for you? Just quietly in your own heart, just take a minute. Just, just tell God thank you for what Jesus took for us. This afternoon, I'd like to invite you to a a journey of life by committing to a journey of life relationship with God and others. A journey of life of faith and obedience to God. A journey of a life of hardship, affliction and struggle, as well as a journey of life of joy, following in the footsteps of Jesus, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God would you join me this afternoon in that commitment would you join me by praying this prayer with me let's pray God I have often taken the easy path that has not led to life but this morning this afternoon today And the rest of my life, I choose to take the hard path. Thank you for the gift of life given to me through the life, death, and resurrection of your son Jesus. Today I choose a life of relationship with you and others. Today I choose a life of faith and vibrant action for you. Today I choose a life of struggle and trial that I might attain life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. It's part of our Easter celebration, we're going to receive communion together, and I have invited David and
1: Mariana,
0: Lee to lead us in this time.
2: Hi, everyone. We want to we want to share just a few minutes uh, before we actually uh, go into take the taking of communion. We could just go straight into it, but um, we would want to share a couple of things with you that our hope is would make it a more significant event for you. Uh, in that we do not want to do anything by ritual but we want to do it out of love and and of service and of sacrifice for what God did for us first one of the uh, most marvelous things about this book the holy bible is in general it's just its cohesiveness from genesis to revelation um it's a an unfolding of God's plan for for the world. And strangely enough, if you one who reads books from the middle to the end or you start at the end and work your way back, you can cheat and read the book and you can say you can see where we win. Okay. But um in order to really understand the fullness of either part, there's two uh, sections to the book just for those of you that are new to to Christianity there 's uh, two what 's referred to as Testaments, uh, the Old Testament and the new testament and um, the The thing is is that we really need to get to know both parts in that if all we know is the Old Testament, then we never see the fulfillment of all the pro- of all the uh, promises in there, and if all we study or learn or know is the New Testament, there's a lot of foundational pieces that we'll never understand because it had it has its roots back in the Old Testament. So, I want to share something uh, briefly this uh, at the moment about the sacrificial system. And I wish we had more time, but in the interest of time, I'm going to give you the uh, a very condensed version which thankfully um, the writer of Hebrews uh, did. And um, chapter 10 verses 1 and 2, it says the old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come, not the reality of the good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. And then skip down to verse ten. It says what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And so, um, long story short, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament was repeated every year. I don't know if you, if you might have ever heard of the Day of Atonement. That was that's the day that the um, sacri- the uh, sins of the entire country of Israel were. Uh, were forgiven and, and cleansed, but that had to happen year after year after year after year after year after year, after year uh, hundreds of years, maybe even thousands of years by now. Um, but with Jesus sacrifice, it was once for all time. But we there's still a place of being remembered over and over and over and over and over. okay So instead of having the sacrifice be done over and over and over, Sacrifices once for all of time, but it's us that has to remember it over and over and over and over. I know from my own self, if I, if I don't remember it from time to time, then I get off track. Okay? And so, um, one of the reasons, and, and it says in the, uh, the biblical account of the Last Supper is to do these things in, this is Jesus' words, to do these in remembrance of me. And so as we, as we take communion, we're to remember him and the sacrifice that he made for us. And we do this periodically to help us stay there and stay in that thankful mode.
3: And we mentioned the Old and New Testament, and I think we get used to calling it that. And I doubt most people can tell you what a testament is. Um, it's a document that the author swears is true. That's what it is. Just like if I wrote my will, last will and testament, I am swearing this is how I want my stuff to be um, given away. We also use the terms old and new covenant. A covenant is a one-way contract. Instead of a contract where you're agreeing to do something and I'm agreeing to do something and we both sign it in a covenant, I'm just agreeing to do something. There may be conditions, but I'm saying this is what I'll do for you, and that's what God did. And with the Old Covenant, um, when Moses first received that message from God, he wrote it down. They were at Mount Sinai, and then he read it to the people. This is in Exodus 24. And he had a couple of bulls sacrificed, and he had their blood mixed with some water ready. um, And I'll tell you why in a second. Um, It says um, he read the Book of Covenant to the people. They responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us nowadays because nowadays when we sign a contract, what do we have? We don't have blood on it. We have a notary seal and the notary's signature, right? Well, they didn't have those handy little metal things back then, so they used blood to show this is the real deal. And so when he says this is the blood of the covenant, this is what shows this is the real Contract between us and God, one-way contract, this is how God's saying he's going to bless us. And so that's how the Hebrew people agreed to that original covenant or deal. Um, But then the prophet Jeremiah came along and said, you know what, there's going to be a new deal. There's going to be a new covenant. And Jeremiah 31 says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. They will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And that's one of the incredible things about the sacrifice of Christ. God remembers our sins no more. We don't have to come back next year and sacrifice another Christ. It's done. Thousands of years after Jeremiah, Jesus shows up and says, it's me. I'm the New Deal. And this, we don't, still don't have notary seals. Instead of being ratified or made official with the blood of some goat or some bull, it's going to be my own blood that's going to make this official. If you want to know how that works, read Hebrews 9 and 10. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, what we want to look at right now is how Jesus' words at what we call the Last Supper echo the words of Moses, and he was a Jew, eating the Passover meal with other Jews, and they would be remembering all of this stuff when you say the words blood and sacrifice and covenant and things like that. Out of Matthew 26, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Remember Moses said, this is the blood of the covenant? Jesus said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And what's the new deal of the new covenant? Well, it's what Randy was talking about, this full life that we are to have. Uh, Not just eternal life, but real life here. In John chapter 6, and I'm reading from the message, paraphrase, Jesus said, I'm telling you the most solemn and sober truth now. Whoever believes in me has real life, eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna bread in the desert and died. But now here is bread that truly comes down out of heaven. Anyone eating this bread will not die ever. I am the bread, living bread, who came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live and forever. The bread that I present to the world so that it can eat and live is myself, this flesh and blood self. And so the deal is we need to believe in Jesus and accept him into ourselves. There's a book called Christ Plays in a Thousand Places. And what makes sense to me is that he shines in a thousand places and he'd like to shine in a billion. He shines through us. Randy's right. We can't see and hear God, but we can see and hear other people. And that's why he's chosen to come live in us. And all of the darkness that you saw in the video, God's plan is to illuminate the world, but he does it through us. Um, I'm going to ask the servers to come on up and help us pass out um, the bread and the juice. And um, what we're going to do, we're going to pass out bread and little cups of juice. We're asking you to hold on to it until um, everybody has their share. Communion means something people do together, so we're going to do this together together. Uh, We practice open communion here, which means you don't have to be a member of our church. We know we have a lot of visitors. Um, You don't have to be a member of our church to participate. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to join us. Um, If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is a good time to reflect on that. Um, And we invite you to to join us in this. And if you'd like to talk to someone about it, there will be some of us up here afterwards. Um, What we'll do, we'll pass the bread and juice out, hang on to it, there'll be a song playing, it's a time for you to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, on the invitation of letting Jesus come to live in you, and then we will pray and all take it together. Lord, we thank you for your promise of forgiveness, your promise of intimacy with us, your promise of real life and everlasting life. Lord, we thank you that you were willing to sacrifice your very own son to seal the deal once and for all. Thank you, Lord, for sending him to be the bread that gives us life. Thank you that your words give us life and that he was your word in the flesh. And as we take this bread, Lord, we acknowledge our part in that sacrifice, that it was for our sins that Jesus needed to come and to die. And we acknowledge also our part in his resurrection thanks to your grace, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Take and eat.
2: There are just so many times where you're described of, of being some expression of truth and life, the fullness of truth and life, that uh, the living bread of life, the words of life, and the living water. So, Lord, I thank you that between the bread and the juice, that we have all of you, Lord. Lord is thank you for the victory was won on the cross. And how you made a public spectacle of the enemy. And even now, right now, as we partake of of you, we too make a public spectacle of the enemy. Take drink.
0: As we conclude our um, Easter celebration, I want to give an opportunity here at the end of our service as we uh, do each week to provide a place for you to be able to um, talk with somebody, to pray with someone. I um, suspect, as we touched on the topic today of tragedies and challenges and difficulties, it's not quite a tragedy, but some of you have um, experienced great losses. And um, I I sense uh, that there are some of you here yet who uh, carry in you a... um, a sense of challenge with losses that you have experienced, perhaps even uh, that has happened in the world. Perhaps you have been one of those who has said, where in the world was God on 9-11 or on the Challenger or on and on uh, could go the number of tragedies that we have experienced in our world war. And so I just want to uh, invite those of you who yet are wrestling uh, inside of yourself with uh, questioning uh, God about these things for you to come forward after the service and allow one of us to pray with you. I believe that the true answer of where was God in these many tragedies is that he was in them and and weeping with the sadness of what was going on that Jesus died on the cross because of and for those tragedies. And so... But as we experience them, it's hard sometimes. We get caught. And so I just want to uh, invite those of you who yet maybe uh, through some loss are carrying yet a a question mark in your mind or heart to let one of our folks pray with you and to see God come and minister to that hurt and to that loss. As well, I want and hope that each of you would have the opportunity today uh, to welcome Jesus into your life if you have never done that before even as Mariana spoke of. And so again, I would also invite and welcome any of you who would like to begin your journey with Christ today uh, to come on up here at the end of the service and allow one of our folks to walk with you through that and to help you do that. And then for any others that are experiencing illness, need for a job, whatever, we have team members up here that would love a chance to pray with you and to see God's kingdom advanced in your life. So Father, we do thank you for the fullness of life that Jesus has accomplished for us and we welcome it to come this afternoon that um, whatever those uh, challenges or issues or hardships or losses are that we have experienced that you would bring new life to us. Thank you for what Jesus did. Thank you that for the joy of what was ahead he endured that pain. And that joy being relationship with us. Thank you for that. Father, as we uh, enjoy this meal together now and and then fun and, and laugh together uh, with Dave and his uh, sh- show, I just welcome you to continue our joy on this Easter celebration time. We thank you for what you have done for us and accomplished for us in Jesus. Might we be those who go forth as Messengers of the good news of life in Christ. Send us forth, Lord, this Easter, as your ambassadors, as your disciples. To the hurting and the broken, to those who don't understand where you were in their tragedies. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Do uh, stay with us. Uh, For the dinner, please, we've got lots of food. We're going to need help and support. Chairs are going to kind of get shoved out of the way. We're going to bring some tables from this back room over here. We're going to set up about 12 tables or so, spin the chairs around on them, and then after we eat, uh, Dave will begin his uh, performance. So we'll have to work with chairs again at that point. Thanks for being with us. Come on up. If you would like prayer or someone to talk with, they'll be here for you. God bless.